This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. I haven't been here for two weeks. Last week I wasn't here because I was in Eretz Yisrael. And the reason I was in Eretz Yisrael was because it was my father's yard site last week. His 16th yard site. Um, so I spoke in 13 seminaries for, in a couple of days. And there's a story about my father that I would like to repeat um, also tonight, I want it, just for for a moment. So I had, I had a student. Ooh, wow, thirty years ago, probably probably thirty years ago. His name was Moshe Shapwolf. So I don't want to get into the whole story with Moshe Shapwolf. Um, interesting story. There, there were two boys that I sort of. I was very young when I started teaching. I was actually twenty years old when I started teaching. So when I was very young, I was uh, sort of on fire and didn't have the um, I wasn't equipped to, I was equipped, but I wasn't equipped to, to like today, you, you treat kids differently. But at that time, I was very, very reactive Rebbe. I was a very reactive Rebbe. So I, I had this, um, I'll talk about Moshe, and then I'll talk about his mother. So I had this um, eighth grade. It's probably more than 30 years ago. It's probably about 32 years ago, maybe 33 years ago. So I had this eighth grade. And these kids were not religious. They didn't keep anything. I taught in the yeshiva where kids were not religious. Crown Heights Yeshiva, 63rd and U. And it was a Kirv Yeshiva where uh, the teachers were religious, but the kids were all from non-Shomer Shabbos homes. And I decided that I was going to make a Mishmar club. Right? Um, not, I'm sorry, a Masmid club. A club, a Masmid means like someone who learns a lot and does extra. So in my eighth grade, I decided I'm going to make a Masmid club. And... If you're in the Masmid Club, you get snacks and you get, we do a Thursday night where I take you out to eat. It was a whole big club. But to be in the Masmid Club, you have to daven. You have to daven with, you know, like Kavana. You have to eat only kosher. And you have to try your hardest to keep, you know, to keep Shabbos. And when you came to class with your tzitzes, not only you had to wear tzitzes, but they had to be out. I had this Masmid Club. So... So this boy in my class, he's a shayful, he's a, he's a good boy. His name was Moshe Shapov. And he came here once a few years ago to speak. He, he's, he's, he, today he's a Stalin Achasid with a long beard and a big payas. And actually in Stalin, he's the number one go-to for Shalom Bayes. And if your kids have problems, he's like a therapist. He's, he's unbelievable. I mean, the, the Stalin Rebbe, Moshe Shapov was like the biggest tzaddik. He always was a good boy. But anyway... So there was a kid who was an eighth grader. His parents weren't religious. His sister wasn't religious. He wasn't religious. And I went to, to um, King, I went to, on uh, Avenue U up there, so on, on Flatbush Avenue. So um, I went to King's Plaza with my wife on a Sunday. I was a young guy to go shopping. And there was a store called Bun and Burger, non-kosher. It's like a McDonald's. And sitting in Bun and Burger is Moshe Shapov. And he's eating not kosher food. But I didn't say anything. I just walked by. I saw him. I saw him eating with his friends, whatever it was. I didn't say nothing because he was already eating. Came Monday. I said, he came to class. The masmid, the card, the titsis, the whole work, the masmid club, the, you know, the snack, the extra snack after davening, the whole works, masmid club, yeah, everything's cool. So I called him over and I said, by the way, um, yesterday, where did you eat lunch? So he's looking at me. He doesn't know that I know. He's looking at me. 
I don't think I don't really remember where I was yesterday. I'm like, but I know where you were. He goes, where was I? I was like, you were buying a burger, weren't you? At two o'clock, I saw you eating that burger. And he turns like, mom is green. And I'm like, take your tits off. He's like, Rebbe, I'm like, take your tits off. And he takes his tits off. And I'm like, throw them in the garbage. And he's like, you're not allowed to throw your tits in the garbage. I'm like, throw your tits in the garbage or I'm throwing you out of class. So he, this kid took his tits and he threw them in the garbage. I said, now look at your tits in the garbage. It's terrible. You want to take them off. You want to take them out of the garbage. It's bothering you. It's making you crazy. Tits in the garbage. I'm like, when you're in Bun and Burger eating tray for food, it's the same thing. Your tits are in the garbage. Because you're putting garbage into your body and then you're putting your tits on it. So exactly what you feel right now is what you need to feel when you eat unkosher and you're wearing tits. And this kid just started crying. I ask him a every time I see him. And he started crying and, he, and I let him take the tits out. And from that day on, he totally became a different human being. So it was totally out of hand and it was totally wrong. I did something really bad. I mean, it was just, I was young and I was like, like, I was on fire. Like, how could you wear tzitzes and eat chazer treif? I was like, I went crazy. And um, we became very close. It's interesting. Sometimes when you do things like that, you, you, you know, first of all, I felt very bad. So I was always trying to make up for it. Um, and he became religious. And his sister became religious. And his parents became religious. And his mother, who was, Allah Shalom, who was um, unbelievable, an unbelievable person, um, never was upset at me for doing that. I thought she would never talk to me. And every Hanukkah and every Rosh Hashanah for 30 years, she just passed away. For thir- I never missed getting a card, sometimes with a check in it for a long time. For Hanukkah, and I never missed getting a car for Shoshana. Never. Never, never, never. It was always, always there. Andrea Shapov always got that car. She never forgot. And, um, her son today is a big tzaddik who Bokshem just married off a child, just had a grandchild. And Moshe is the, is the sweetest, biggest tzaddik in the world. His sister is even firmer than him. And father, and she, she passed away in Eretz Yisrael. They actually, Moved to Eretz Yisrael. So I said, I told Moshe when I was there last week in Eretz Yisrael that I would learn, um, I would learn Le'ili Nishmas. Her name is Chanabas Aaron? Chanabas Aaron. Very, 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 um, very special person. And she went to Ghanaian and there's nothing to talk about because, um, the Paris that she left in this world, these two kids, this daughter and this, uh, son that she left here are off the charts. And her husband also, they, I mean, they became from was amazing. Not, not just from, they became unbelievably from. So, um, it's a schuss to learn in her. A schuss to, you know, and she was very sick and she never complained. Very special person. So, I want to just say something about my father, because usually I'm here and, you know, near his yard site and I speak about it, but I was away and then I went to Eric's throw. So, I talk a lot about him. Um, I, everyone here knows that I was very close to him. Uh, we had an unbelievable relationship. But there's a certain story, there's a few stories I shared at Yisrael, but there's a, a certain story that, um, 
It's a very important story, and that is that my father was a businessman, and the business he was in was plastic shop. We make the Wallsteins. We make plastic shopping bags. There's Wally packaging. There's empty packaging. Every one of us is in the business. We don't really compete with each other. We all do different companies, different type department stores, and sporting goods stores, and food stores. And so, my father was the originator of this um, of this business. He had a very special love for Eretz Yisrael. So. All our bags, all the bags that we manufactured, that we made, he would only make in Israeli factories. Either in a kibbutz, there was a kibbutz near Eliyahu, and there was a factory up in Tefen. And even though the Chinese, to make the same bags in China, he would have made 30 or 35% more money, which was a lot of money we're talking about. He said, I'm not interested in supporting the Chinese. I'm interested in supporting Jews. So if we buy bags in Eretz Yisrael, Jews are going to have a job. We're going to bring export American dolls into Israel. So he wouldn't hear it. I used to tell him, Dad, come on, let's go to China. No way. So he, we made all our stuff, all our bags in, in Eretz Yisrael. One of the biggest companies that he was after for business was a company called Petri Stores. I'm going back 25 years. Petri Stores was a woman's clothing chain that owned many different names, many different stores, close to 3,000 stores across America, which is huge, huge. And... The owner, his name was Milton Petrie, was a Jew, but totally disconnected from anything that has to do with Jews except Israel. He was a very big supporter of Israel. At that time, he was one of the richest Jews, and he was a very big supporter of Israel. So because my father did business, did business with Israel through the Israeli government, he got a meeting with this guy Petrie because it was impossible to get to him. And he was trying to sell Petri bags made in Israel. Petri was big pro-Israel, so buy bags from Israel, help Israel. And meanwhile, we're going to make a lot of money, the Wallensteins. So Petri was the type of guy that would not do business with you unless he met you. In other words, he had to meet you, see if you're honest. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't, he, this was a very big order, a couple of million dollars. So he wasn't going to give it to his purchasing agent. He was going to meet the people themselves, so the Israeli government set this up. So Petri, who doesn't meet anybody, he's the Rosh Hashiva, right, um, made up to meet my father. And my, wherever my father went, my mother went. They were inseparable. And my mother was my father's secretary, which if you have Shalom Bias is a great thing. If you don't have Shalom Bias, it's the worst thing, right? And sometimes it causes problems in Shalom Bias because the wife might have one idea and the husband might have a different idea. So, But anyway, my mother, Baruch Hashem, and my father got along. So, so my father said to my mother, let's go together. You should come with me. We'll go together. We'll meet Petri. So there was only, there was only one kosher restaurant in those days called Luigi Siegel's, which was in Manhattan. And, um, so my father set up this appointment to meet Petri in Manhattan. Two o'clock lunch, three o'clock lunch. I don't remember what it was, but Petri got caught up and he sent my father a message. He can't make it at two, three o'clock. It'd be a five o'clock, whatever it is. So they go to this, to dinner. My mother, my father, and Mr. Petri. So they're sitting there, but because he delayed it, they're in the middle of talking. My father's talking about Israel, Petri's talking about his business, whatever it is. And my father looks at his watch. Now, my father did not miss Minion for anything. He would fly from the Midwest backwards to the West Coast because he gained two, three hours. If he couldn't make Mincha, where he was, there was no Minion, and he wouldn't make it to New York in time for Mincha, he would fly back to the West Coast. Make Mincha and then take an overnight flight to New York. He did not miss Minion. I was brought up, you do not miss Minion. The world can come to an end, you don't miss Minion. 
So he's meeting with this guy. It's a $3 million contract. It's a crazy big contract. And it's mincha time. What do you do? So he tells my mother, my father tells my mother, he says, I'm going to go to Mincha, Myriv, because with Luji Siegel's is like two blocks around from there was a big shul. I don't know, the east side shul, the west side shul. I don't know which shul. There was a big shul. And he tells my mother, you keep him busy and talk to him so he doesn't realize that I'm gone so long, right? So my father says, excuse me, I just have to leave for a moment. And he walks away, Petri saying he's going to the bathroom. And he's gone for 25 minutes because in those days... There was, there's one minion from Myrav. Not like today, you can down until three o'clock, there's a minion and Sherman Shabbos all over. So my parents lived in Muncie. So there's one minion. When the sun sets and it gets dark, that's Myrav. You, you, you cut, there's no Myrav at eight o'clock, nine o'clock, ten o'clock, eleven o'clock. They, everyone down in Mincha and then Myrav. There was no such thing as a late minion. So my father didn't only down in Mincha, but he had down Myrav because by the time he gets to Muncie from Manhattan, he looked, so, so he has to be gone for 25 minutes. So he goes and he's gone for 25 minutes. And he comes back, and this Petri guy was a very sharp guy. He knew my father wasn't in the bathroom for 25 minutes. There were no cell phones. So what do you, like, what do you, where were you? So he asked him straight up. He said, Mr. Wallerstein, it was very nice talking to your wife. Where'd you go? So he asked my father, where'd you go? So my father said, I had a meeting. He said, you walked out of a meeting with me to have a meeting with someone else? And you want my business? My father said, well, you are a very important person, but the one I had the meeting with is even more important. And this guy's like, he's getting angry. So he's like, who's more important right now than me? My father says, well, you're the chairman of the board of one of the biggest chain stores in America, but I went to talk to the chairman of the board of the world. So he told him. He said, you went to talk to the chairman. Now, it's a guy who's totally disconnected. He said, you went to talk to the chairman of the board of the world? What are you saying? He says, well, I'm an Orthodox Jew. Three times a day, we have a meeting. It's a set time. We have a meeting with God. And he's the chairman of the, he's the, chairman of the board of the world. And, you know, you delayed the meeting. I'm not blaming you, but I don't miss that meeting for anything. So I'm sorry that, you know, I, that I was gone for 25 minutes. But the chairman, you don't miss a meeting with the chairman of the board of the world. You just don't miss a meeting with him. And you don't keep him waiting. Scottless. This is, this is who my father was. So Petrie says to my father, he says, I have never heard anyone, I've never heard, I, I don't know anything about this. I've never heard this before in my life. He says, but I'll tell you one thing. Any man that speaks to the chairman of the board of the world Three times a day, that's someone I want to do business with. So we don't need to discuss this anymore. I will tell my purchasing agent to call you. And as long as Petrie stores are in existence, you have the business. Don't think that not spending time with Akash Baruch you think, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to miss this. The biggest respect in the world is, is, is the people who don't understand what we do to, to hear that we, we as Jews, as Orthodox Jews have a chance to talk to the chairman of the board of the world three times a day. And I don't think I know another human being in my life that looks at Hashem as the chairman of the board of the world.
that was his. So that's, he went to Davin. So you, you don't talk if you're talking to the chairman of the board of the world. You come on time. You don't come late to a meeting with the chairman of the board. So his whole tilla and his whole relationship with Hakadosh Baruch Hu was this is the this is the chairman of the board of the world. So like, how could you miss a meeting if that's who you're meeting? And this guy was just flipped out. He flipped, he just was in love with my father. Totally flipped out. And it happened again. My father was on a plane. He was flying first class from New York to Eretz Yisrael. And he was flying El Al. And there was a very big commotion. He was flying first class upstairs. It was a 747. So he was upstairs. And it was, I remember, because I always picked up my father from, the, and I don't know why kids don't do this, but I, my father landed with my mother from Eretz Yisrael. I, I didn't let him take a taxi or something. We always picked him up. And we always went to the airport when he left. It's just like Kibbutz Avim. It's just like you know, we don't think about it. And today, it's like you know, take a taxi. Like you know, hello, you know, take a taxi. It's five o'clock in the morning. You landed. Who picks up their parents, right? If they're gone for six months for this long, but you went, to, you decided to right Florida. Wherever you went, we all showed up. Me, my brother, and my sister, all three different cars. My parents go coming back. I mean, like today, it's like people don't think like that. And maybe my friends didn't even feel like that either. But that's that's how we were brought up. So. So we came to the airport, there's like security all over the place, right? And the first class, first class lounge, which I was allowed to go with my father to sit down with. No, no guests. What's up? Sharon was on the plane. And Arik Sharon was on the plane. And at that time, he was a defense minister. So, you know, forget about it. Security was crazy, crazy tight. Okay. So my father's on the plane. And Sharon, it's the two of them upstairs. That's it. Because first class was totally out of hand, the price. But my father always, he said, you go to Eric Yisrael, you go first class. He had his stuff, whatever. So, he gets off the plane. To make a long story short, Sharon, my father's down with a lot of kavani. He wore Rabbeinu Tams. He learned with his tefillin. His davening was an hour and a half, chakras. It wasn't 40 minutes. And he was always tan, and he was always dressed to kill. And he had a little handkerchief, and the brown suit, and the brown shoes, and the brown yarmulke. If he was wearing a blue suit, it was a blue yarmulke. Everything matched. He was at U.S. He was a, uh, he was a Marine, so they were, they always get dressed. You know, they get dressed. Everything's clean. Everything's out the night before. Everything's folded. Everything. He was, he was a soldier. He was an American soldier. So the, you just you just kept very well. And so he has a certain look. He had a certain look as a businessman. He was always tan. This Sharon watched him daven. And he walked over to my father before they landed. He said, you're an you're, you're orthodox businessman. I, you know, I thought only great rabbis daven like this. I'm like so impressed. My father wasn't trying to impress him. He wasn't even looking at him. He's like, I'm so impressed. Here's my card. Hashem runs the world. If you ever need me, call me. Sharon was impressed by a person's tefillah. Okay? All right. Who needs him? Right? My father had a minig that on my grandfather's yard site. He would never go, again, he had certain things in his head, and that's why I have certain things in my head. He would never go, you have to hear a cheshman, how a person cheshmans. He would never go on the day of his father's yard site to the cemetery where my grandfather's buried in Petach Tikva before he would go to the Ma'ar Samachpelo and Kevarachal. He said, I can't go to my father before I go to my forefathers. So before I'm going to go to my father, the reason I'm a Jew, they were they were the ones who who, who are our forefathers. So his minig was right after Vasikin, he go, he went to Baruch Samach Pela, 
Right after that, he went to Kevin Russell, and then he went to Petak Tikva. One yard site. It was crazy fighting with the Arabs and everything is. Chevron's closed. No one in, no one out. Clamped down. It's, you know, the army, it's clamped down. It's in, uh, you know, when nobody can come out of their houses. Totally closed. My father has, this is your father's yard site. And he doesn't miss. Always going to Marcel Machpelo. He takes Sharon's card out of his pocket because everything is by shirt. And if you dive and you do what you're supposed to. And he calls Eric Sharon. And he says, I have to go to Hebron. And Sharon says, Hebron's closed. My father says, but I haven't missed ever going to Hebron before I go to my father's Hebron. you got to get me into Hebron. <laughs> Sharon was Sharon. It was sort of like my father. These two were very much alike. And he says, okay, where are you? He says, I'm in Yushalayim. He says, okay, come out to, to Beis Lechem at the edge of Yushalayim, and we'll pick you up by tank. <laughs> this is a true story so my father went to the edge of Beis Lechem they had half tracks and a whole thing and they took my father to the Ma'aras HaMachpelo when Hebron was totally clamped down no one not even not even the army it was just like total clamped down half track Wallerstein and a half track with a helmet <laughs> took him he davened they took him back to Kevin Rochel and he went to his parents and I have a clip at home from the Jerusalem Post because my father had crazy Akhar Tov, and maybe that's why I had this chush to write this book that I wrote and he put a huge ad in the Jerusalem Post thanking Arik Sharon for getting him into Hebron because he had never ever missed to the day he died he never missed and when he went to his father's Kever he always went to Hebron first where did, where did that whole thing come from? years before davening on a plane because had he not had that card from Sharon, he wasn't getting, there was no way you were getting in there. So, Tila, when you realize, girls, that when you, when you stand on, in, in your house and you take out a sitter, you need to know who you're talking to. You're talking to the chairman of the board of the world. And he's above everybody. And if you do that correctly, then whatever you need later on, I mean, it's a crazy story that he was, happened to be on that plane, Sharon happened to give him the card, and it was years, years later, it was five, seven years later, that he needed him to get into Hebron. And he got him into Hebron. So that's the story about my father and, and, the, and the, the importance of, the importance of Tefillah. I was in Florida the week before I went there to Israel. And, um, so, the, the Matzi Shabbos before the yard site, so you, a boy, a man has to daven Meyer for the Ahmed. Because, the person died during the week. So the last Shabbos, right? The last Shabbos they were on this world. So the Neshama Yisera, the extra Neshama, the yard side of the Neshama Yisera, because it leaves Saturday night, is that Shabbos. It doesn't come back during the week. So if a person dies during the week, so the, the, the son or whoever's saying Kaddish, whatever it is, so it's a minute to daven Myriv, Matzi Shabbos, right? It's a chiv to daven. So my father's yard site was on Friday, so the Saturday night before, right? The Saturday night before, I down for the Ahmed because it's it's a yard site for his extra neshama that he had on Shabbos. So I'm in this minion in Florida where everyone's 150, 152 years old. <laughs> Forget about it, right? And it's an interesting thing in Florida. They're all in a rush. Where are you going, man? You're like 95 years old. They're all in a big rush. They're a big, big rush. Don't you, right? So 
That's why they don't let them drive because they'll be beeping the whole day. So, so I, I, so I don't daven fast. I'm my father's son. I don't daven fast. I take my time. So, Matzah Shabbos, let's say Matzah Shabbos was six fifty-eight. At six fifty-eight, when, when the thing turned from fifty-seven to fifty-eight, my right, like don't even wait one second. God forbid you should start two seconds later. Where are all these old people going? They're not going anywhere. They're going to the lobby and they're sitting down. That's where they're going, right? Fine, but. You know, so they, they want you to dive really fast, you know. So I don't dive in fast, so I dive in very slowly. So when I finished, one of the older men came over to me and he said, that was really nice. Everybody, blah, 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 and they finished really fast, and you took your time. I said, thank you, that's so nice. Thank you, for, you know, for the compliment. He says, he's an old, old guy. He says, I don't understand. I said, what, what don't you understand? He says... All, all these people, all my friends, they're all 70s, 80s, 90s, some of them are Holocaust, you know, he says, they're all in such a rush all the time when it comes to davening. If the, you know, you have to rush and you have to finish. He goes, I don't understand, he says. We go to doctors, this man tells me. We go to doctors in Florida. Where do, where do old people go? They go to doctors, right? And we sit for hours. Because today doctors, they make an appointment, you never get to see the doctor. He says, we sit for two, three hours in the waiting room. And then when the doctor finishes, sees us, we say thank you because they like that like thank you doctor for seeing me and they, they like to be like he says three hours and we thank the doctor who we're paying instead of screaming at him he says and here we're, we're sitting here the doctor of all doctors and we're not willing to wait one minute and we don't say thank you I said wow I said, I, you know, it's kind of, it wasn't coming from a young person. He says, we're in the waiting room. He doesn't make us wait a minute. It's, it's nine o'clock, so you wait till nine o'clock. It's one minute you waited, not three hours. And you don't walk out after my riv and say, thank you, Hashem, for allowing me to dive into you. He said, but the doctor's office, they're taking money. They make you wait three hours, and you're bowing down to the doctor. Thank you, Dr. Epstein, for seeing me today. He says, we don't understand he says, and they don't have any patience, but they sit in the doctor's office, everybody has patience. I'm lucky that he's seeing me. I'm lucky I have an appointment. He says, I don't understand. He says, Rabbi, he called me Rabbi. He says, Rabbi, I don't understand. We don't need an appointment. I told it to everybody. The one thing about a Kosh Baruch Hu, well, I think we're going to give a din v'cheshbin, is like, how come you didn't daven to me? You don't even need an appointment. You want to go see a Rebbe? You got to know somebody. You got to write a check sometimes. You got to wait for two, three hours and push. You just, you could go outside in the hall and open up your sitter. There's no gabai. There's nobody taking money. You don't need to know anybody. And you can dive. And Hashem is going to say, you, you waited so long, so many times to get in to see somebody. And me, you didn't have to wait. You never showed up. It, I was like, wow. So I told this guy, I said, thank you for telling me because whatever you just told me, I'm going to say it over. And maybe it'll, maybe, you know, maybe it'll change somebody's life. I don't know. Okay. So that's, a big, a big chunk of my share. There's another very important pasuk that I found when I was this past week in Eretz Yisrael, and I showed it to some big tzaddikim, and it's a very little known Rashi, and I think it is the most important one. Of, I can't say the most, but one of the most important Rashi's in the whole Torah, and that principals and teachers and everyone in Klai Yisrael needs to know this Rashi, and most people do not. Because little teeny Rashi's, they don't really make, you know, you, you learn it, you read it. So I want to tell you what this Rashi, what's going on over it. So last week's Pasha, we got the Torah. And when we got the Torah, 
Hashem was very worried that anybody should touch the mountain. Because when God was on the mountain, if any human being would touch the mountain, they would die. So many times, it says in, in Pashish Yisro, that Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu, over and over and over and over, right? Tell, tell them they should not go up, right? Um, they should not break through. They, they put a gate around the Harsinai because if they go, if they if they go through, something very bad is going to happen to them. And he, and if you look, in, if you look, it says he sa'am, plus and they they uh, will set boundaries for the people, suffer around the mountain. He shamulchem, be careful. Alish b'hab, going on the mountain. When the guy back and say, well, if you touch the edges, call it a gate of Whoever touches the mountain will surely die. Over and over and over, Hashem warns, don't touch the mountain. So there's a very important Pasuk, it's in Perak Yutes, and it's Pasuk Chaf, it's Pasuk Chaf Beis, and it says the following. Hashem said to Moshe, raid, go down, and warn the people, Pen Hashem, if they break through, if they break through these barriers to see Hashem, because they were like, amazing. Everyone wanted to run up on the mountain. God's on the top of the mountain. We all want to run up on the mountain, right? He said, if they break through, which is singular, and he will fall, many people. So that doesn't make sense. It should say, many people will fall. is Singular. Rav, Right, we meant rav is lashon many is lashon rabbim is, is is plural. So Rashi asks this question, and I want to tell you what Rashi answers. Rashi says the following. He says the nafal meant rav. The nafal is singular. Rav is is plural. It should not the nafal should say the naflu. So Rashi says the following. Kol ma sheyipol mehem. Hashem is saying anyone. Who falls from the Jewish nation? Afilu, he who yachid yichidi. Even if it's just one person, just one person falls from the Jewish nation. Chashav lefanai. Hashem says it as it is as chashav in front of me. Rav, one person to me. If a person dies or one Jew falls. By me, says Hashem, it's considered many. So I was there to show, and I showed this to some Rosh Hashimahs. I'm like, we have this thing, you know, well, I got a class of 32. I got 25 good kids, okay, or 30 good kids. Two of them didn't make it. Fantastic, no? That's today, it's all averages. It's all, we did pretty well. When I got up at the Gooda Convention the first time, so I got... Gazing criticism that you got up and said that on our watch, look what's happening. So this very big person in Chinuch of, of in the world came over to me and said, "You have a chutzpah. You're making it look like we're failures. Twenty to twenty-five percent of kids are going off the other off the derech. Why aren't you talking about the seventy-five that are on the derech?" 
So, what's so bad? We're losing one quarter, but three quarters are doing well. Rabbi, if you're listening to the shir, Hashem said, one, one Jew goes on the mountain and dies? As far as he's concerned, rub it's the majority of the Jews. One's too many. You can't have 30, 30 kids in the class that are doing well and two that are failing. You're failing. And, and I explained at that time, I didn't know this Rashi. Oh man, I would have ripped if I would have had this Rashi. Well, I didn't have this Rashi at that point. Hashem only gave me this Rashi this past week in Eretz Yisrael. But what I did tell him was, if you're, if you're the head of a generation or a rav or the head of a school or a teacher, if you're, if you're, if you're a parent, one is too many. I have parents that come to me that have 12, 13 kids that have one kid off the derech. They're finished. Finished. They can't sleep. They can't eat. They're ripping their hair out. They, 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 they don't know what to do. They're going, they're crazy. I'm like, what's the problem? You got 11 good ones. Focus on that, right? Focus on the 11 good ones. You have one that, one didn't make it. That's pretty good. You know, in baseball, the Hall of Fame, if you have a 300 average, that means you hit one out of three balls. You would go into the Hall of Fame. You can miss two out of three. So I mean, here, you have 11 kids that are good and one kid that's no good. I had one today like that. One kid that's no good. No, it's not the end of the world. You did pretty well. And they're like, no, we're total failures. What do you mean? You have 11 good kids and one that's not good. That's a total failure when you're a parent. So what I did tell that person is, the problem with you is that you're, these, the, the 25% or 20% of the kids that are off the derech, they're not your children. Because if they're your children, 25% is a holocaust. A total holocaust. But if you're just, if it's your child, if it's someone else's child, okay, look at averages. Okay, two out of not bad, you know, you only lost, you know, in, in stocks, if you make money and, and you have 12, 12 investments and two you don't make money and 10 you make money, it's very well. But that's not, that's not how Hashem looks at it. So when I was in Israel, I was sitting by the Kaisal at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I was learning Chomish, and this Rashi popped out. I was like, thank you, Hashem. Hashem was screaming, Wallstein, one is a majority. One is a rove. And that's what Rashi writes over here. It's a crazy Rashi. It's a crazy Rashi. And that's how he answers that singular, when Hashem says singular, and he says rove, he's saying one, one single Jew is not singular, it's plural, godless. Okay, so one other point, so last week was two Bishvat, I spoke a lot about this in Eretz and then we'll end with this week's parsha. So last week was two Bishvat, and um, the question is, why don't we say Tachron on two Bishvat? Two Bishvat, Tachron is something that, that men say every day, I don't know if women say Tachron, um, it's, you know, Shalom Begano, I stole, I did, I did, you asked for forgiveness for your sins. We do this every day. The only days we don't say Tachanun is Rosh Chodesh and Shabbos and Yom, real Yom Tovim, like Purim and Hanukkah, Shuas Pesach and Sukkot. For some reason, on Tu Bishvat, we don't say Tachanun. Which means it's a really, you're not allowed to fast on Tu Bishvat? It's a real Yom and I never understood what's the yant of it's a bunch of fruits. Something very fascinating also. Somebody told me, it was great. It was always great. Especially after Florida. It's like, it's like you, you need some kind of like, you need, you need some kind of spirituality. So, so it was, it's like, a, it's like, you know, they say, why you go to the wall? Where do you find an outlet? When you're looking for an electrical outlet for your phone to recharge, where do you look? You look in the wall. So where do you recharge? You go to the wall. So, so I go to the place, so like two hours before davening, 
when there's nobody there. I mean, there are people there, but no one's bothering you. And you can sit and you can learn and you can, you know, you can grow. So I was thinking to myself, like, two bishvats, very nice. So there's one, there's one Yerushalmi that I was talking to. He said, it's a very interesting thing. Two bishvat is Rosh Hashanah, not for fruits. It's not Rosh Hashanah for fruits. It's Rosh Hashanah for trees. How do we celebrate it? By eating fruits. Shvuas is called Yom HaBikurim, right? Yom HaBikurim is fruits. How do we celebrate it? We put trees in the shul. So when you're celebrating trees, you eat fruit. When you're celebrating fruit, you have trees. My high. When you're celebrating fruit, have fruit. Have fruit in the, have, have, have fruit in the, uh, in, in the shul. And on, on Tu Bishvat, bring trees, you know, bring trees into your house. What, what's going on over here? He said something very, very beautiful. Yushalmi said it to me. He said that on, on, on Yom Abikurim, on, on, on Shuis, we celebrate, we take the tree because we want to show everyone where does this come from? Because Torah is a Mesorah. So the Mesorah means where, does it, where do you come from? I come from Avram Yitzhak, my back. So we show everyone in Shul, you, it's, it's, we're celebrating the fruit, but don't celebrate the fruit, celebrate where it comes from. Because without the tree, there is no fruit. On Tu Bishvat, we celebrate the product. In other words, what is the celebration of every human being? What's your celebration? Your product. What comes from you? If you, if you, if, if you don't produce, you don't do mitzvahs, you do a very whole life, you have no product, which we'll talk about, we'll end with this. You have no product, you come up to the next world without anything, so you didn't do anything. So, so, on, on the holiday of trees, to celebrate a tree, what's the celebration? The, the tree, the celebration of the tree is its fruits. Celebration of a person, other, are your children, your grandchildren, your students, right? Those are your fruits. That's your, that's why we're called Eitz Asada. So, specifically on Tu Bishvat, when you're celebrating the tree, the tree, it's not about the tree, it's what, what happened, what came from the tree, right? When you're celebrating the fruit, where did the fruit come from? And that's why we do the, you know, the exact opposite. I got that at the coastal at four o'clock in the morning. So, so, this week's parasha, and so anyway, so my, my question was, what's the deal with Tachanan? Why don't we say Tachanan? And the answer is unbelievable. The answer is, because, me saying, I, I did this a very, this a very, this a very, there, there are things that on Yantif you don't say between Ashrei Voltzion and Matzeach. When it's a Yantif, you don't say Lamatzeach. But on Tubishvat, you do say Lamatzeach. Specifically, and we don't say Halal. So those other days you say Halal. So what's going on over here? Why did they pick and pull out Tachanan? Why Tachanan? Right? And the answer is that what we celebrate on, on Tu B'Shvat, when everything is dead, right? You go outside, especially here in America, on Tu B'Shvat last week, it was really sad. I mean, you go out to those trees, and you say, Happy New Year, and they're like, what, what, what are you happy about, right? We're a bunch of frozen trees with ice and snow, no leaves, no blossoms, no, fl- no, no fruit, no nothing. Like, Happy New Year what, right? So it's one thing if you say Happy New Year in the spring, ah, Happy New Year, leaves, you're coming alive, and flowers, right? But, but Happy New Year in the middle of the winter, right? What's going on over here? And, and, so, and the answer is that we as Jews, we talk about this all the time, we don't, we celebrate potential. We don't celebrate the product. In Nisan, when you go to the fruit trees and you make a brook on the fruit tree, you, there's no fruit on the tree, there's a blossom. The first blossom in Nisan, you're supposed to make a brook on, on the fruit tree. Why don't you wait till the fruit comes out, make a brook on, when the fruit's out there? And the answer is we don't celebrate, we as Jews, we celebrate potential. We don't, we don't celebrate the product. We don't. We celebrate potential, and that's why Hashem created us, and I don't have time, it's too late, but Hashem created us 
as human beings to celebrate potential. That's why you're born with nothing. You can't see, you can't talk, you can't walk, you can't, you have no teeth, you can't chew, you can't do anything. Every animal is born has teeth, it can walk right away, it can roll over, we get all excited, the kid rolled over, he fell off the bed, wow, he rolled over, the first step the kid takes, take a picture, the, 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 the first time the kid stands up, you take a picture, right? The first word, like I remember my wife called me up and said, Zachariah, <gasps> Malki said something. I'm like, what'd she say? She said, da. Right, I was in the middle of working. So, so hold on. And I'm listening on the phone. Okay, Malky, say, say something. Say da, say da. Of course, they never perform when you want. Then for half an hour, I'm sitting there, like I'm a sugar, and waiting for my kid to say da. Right? What are you getting, what are you getting so excited? She said da. What does that mean? Like, right? The answer is da becomes daddy, daddy becomes a sentence, that becomes a paragraph, which becomes a, which becomes a, a book, which, right? So why not say, why don't you start us off that way? We can do nothing. Really. All we can do, I, I, I told the girls in seminary, I said, I hate to break it down like this. You can't even burp on your own. When you're a baby, your mommy has to burp you. You are so basic. You are so, every animal can burp, right? You are so nothing. Not only you can't talk, you have to have someone pat you on the back till you burp. And then, and then we're like, whoa, I remember my grandkids now, right? Oh, I mean, the whole table was like, wow, what a burp. That's pretty sad. Girls, that's pretty sad. A human being, and we're all excited that this little kid burped. Right? We can't even burp. Forget about writing a poem. We can't burp on our own. Why do you do that to us, God? Okay, let us burp on our own at least. Right? And the answer is that Hashem wanted to teach, create us with nothing so that everything we have ahead of us is potential. That's being a human being. An animal is born with teeth. It can bark. It can meow. It can do, it can walk. It can do everything it has to do right away. We can do nothing. And that's why we celebrate a wedding, right? Everybody gets excited. 900 people, 21 piece band, flowers, flop, right? The whole flop business, which is a terrible word to use when someone's getting married. You know, are you going to flop? Excuse me, we didn't get married yet. Why am I going to get a flop, right? And if it's, you don't know what flop is. You know, you know what flop is? You know what flop is? You know what flops is? No. The S is a shaitl. And then if you want two shaitls because you want a weekday and a Shabbos and it's flops with two S's. Right? So it's, uh, let's see, it goes like this. It goes, uh, flowers, liquor, orchestra, and, um, and photography. And then if you have a shaitl, it's like flops, flops. Right? So here you are. Flops! And you spend all this money on this wedding, and we don't know that maybe, maybe, maybe they're going to be divorced in a week or two, or a year or two, or three years, or four years. Maybe it's going to be an abusive marriage. Maybe she's going to be miserable. Maybe he's going to be miserable. Who knows what's going to happen over here? Maybe someone's going to die, Chatzor Shalom. You don't know what's going to happen. So what are you celebrating? What are you celebrating? Celebrate the 15th anniversary. And then invite 900 people. They have children. They have grandchildren. They have great-grandchildren. They're married 50 years, and then they kill each other. Right? They're still both together. Right? And it's a lot easier at the 53 because you can't really hear each other so you don't know what each one, each one is saying, right? Whatever it is. But seriously, so at the 50th anniversary, when we know they made it, let's invite 900 people and children and grandchildren and flowers and the music they won't want, they can't hear it anyway, right? So I'm just, but we don't. We just have the little family gathering, right? And, and, and the granddaughter buys a balloon with, it says 50 on it with a nice man, you know, balloon, whatever it is. And we go, and it's very nice. And Bobby and Zadie are there, and, 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 and a few kids will get up and say a speech. The whole thing takes two hours because they get crutchy after two hours already. And, and that's it, and it's $500, and have a good day. It's not 40000 80000 Why don't we celebrate? Because the potential of that marriage is already 50 years. So I'm what's left. The potential is behind them. 
So we don't celebrate that. But we we see two single people, a girl and a boy, who have no potential as singles as far as having children and making a home, right? So now we're taking these two, and we're all excited because we're going to take these two who have such potential and put them together, happiness, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, a house that does chesed. So that's what we celebrate. As Jews, we celebrate potential. So Tu Bishvat is specifically when the most potential of the tree is ahead of it, not behind it. So Tu Bishvat is when the sap begins to go into the estric tree, that's specifically the estric tree. So you don't see anything. There's no leaves, there's no buds, there's nothing. It's frozen, it's the middle of the winter. And all the potential is ahead of it. That's why it's a yantif. Why specifically no tachanun? Because the opposite of potential is a sin. When you come into this world, your potential is to help and to do mitzvahs. The, the, the abuse of potential, the lack of potential, is an avera. So on the day that we celebrate potential, we don't talk about, I did this sin, I did that sin, I did that sin. It's, it's contradictory to the yantif that we're having today. Today is a day of, even if I did something wrong, forget it, I did tshuva. I'm going to be the best, it's going to be great, it's going to be great. So we're not going to stand on a day when we're celebrating potential. And that's the yantav, it's the yantav of potential to say, well, I, I, I didn't use my potential, I abused my potential. No, the chacham will say, no tachanan. That's a day that we don't say any tachanan. That's the, that's the godless, that's the greatness of the yantav that we had last week. That, that, that we are considered like a tree. And on a much deeper level, we have our seasons. There are days that you're frozen. There are days that are your winters. We go through winters as human beings. And we go through springs where things are beginning to blossom. And we go through summers where we produce fruit. And then we go through sometimes it's a fall. Even though we're falling and it's not so great, but there's still beautiful colors. We are called in Kabbalah the Eitz Sada. And the reason we're compared to Eitz Sada is as human beings. But, but the tree always comes around after winter. And it always has that spring, and it always has that summer. And a human being has to know that. And specifically on Tu Bishvat, when you're eating that fruit, right? When you make a bracha on that apple, let's say, so the godless of it is, I'm making a bracha on an apple tonight, that a year ago tonight, came from a tree that looked like it was dead. So I'm, I'm saying, for all the people who don't believe in potential, this is the proof of potential. Last year, tonight, Right? Tu Bishvat, that night, the tree was dead. It looked dead. And a year later, I'm holding its apple, its date, its fig. It doesn't matter what fruit I'm holding. So this, that you're, what you're eating, our mini, as the Wallace and Minig was to eat 15 fruits on Tu Bishvat. We had 15 different fruits. So you're, you're showing that all these trees were dead. The, the, the hazelnut tree and the almond tree and, and the apple tree. All these trees were dead. And tonight I'm eating all their fruits. How could I not believe in potential? How could I give up? When I feel like I'm a dead tree or give up on someone that looks dead, if you're eating the fruit of that dead tree, then internally how could you how could you give up? That's the godless of of, of the Rosh Hashanah of Tu Bishvat. So my bracha to everyone is that you should have only two seasons spring and summer. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by Torahanytime.com.